Dr. Charles C. Ryrie, who serves as chairman of our Department of Systematic Theology and is in his third decade of ministry on the Dallas Seminary faculty, is our first President's Fellowship speaker for 1981. Dr. Ryrie recently gave this message to friends of the seminary at dinners in Chicago, Philadelphia, and Los Angeles. We hope you will enjoy and profit from his answer to the crucial question, what's the most important thing about Jesus Christ? Reference has been made uh, tonight to senior theology, and I think I will uh, act true to form and announce at this point a pop quiz. So if you'll just take out your pen and paper, we'll all have a little quiz. All alumni will certainly obey, won't they? <laughs> no, they've graduated. Now they're all rebels, I guess. Well, I wouldn't have the heart or nerve to do that, but I am going to give you a pop quiz. You don't have to write the answer. You have to think about it, though. And there's just one question, and the question is this. What's the most important thing about our Lord Jesus Christ? Now, while you look at me and stare, I hope your minds are roaming around for an answer. What is the most important thing about our Lord Jesus Christ? Is that he, that he died, or is it that he rose again, victorious over the grave? Or is it his uh, pre-tribulational, pre-millennial coming that's the most important thing? We still believe that. And if you were thinking one of those answers, I'm going to mark you wrong. Now, before you write me down as a heretic, thinking I am demeaning the death, resurrection, or coming of Christ, let me tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that the most important thing about our Lord Jesus Christ is not something he did or does or will do, but it's who he is. Because if he isn't who he claimed to be, then what he did, does, or do, or will do is really not worthwhile because an imposter or a fake or someone else is doing it and it won't mean what it claims to be. Most important thing about our Lord Jesus Christ is who he is and who is he? He's God and man and that's an almost impossible concept to think about. God. Who can think about God? We have thoughts about God and they're guided and guarded and governed by the written word of God. A lot of people today are having thoughts about God that aren't guided that way. They're thoughts they conjure up. Uh, we can think about God, but we've never seen God face to face. We've never talked to anybody who has. We can have no uh, eyewitnesses of that living today. So to think about God is, is really a very staggering, almost impossible thing to do. And our Lord was God, fully, perfectly, and completely. Not one thing missing from Jesus Christ that was present in God the Father, not one thing. Attributes, characteristics, veiled, not always used while he was here on earth, but not one missing. He was God. Perhaps you think to think about a man is much simpler, but you see, he wasn't simply an ordinary man. He was a perfect man, and that's almost impossible to think about, too. You've never talked to a perfect man. When you men shaved this morning, you didn't look at a perfect man in the mirror. And in case you think you did, ask your mate. 
And when you women made up your faces to come tonight, uh, you didn't see a perfect woman in the mirror. It's almost impossible to think of what a perfect man would be like. Think of a perfect baby. And he was. And a perfect youngster, and he was. And a perfect teenager, and he was. And a perfect young adult, he was. And then to try to put those two almost impossible thoughts together in, in one person is, is to compound the, the difficulty. But that's who he was, the God-man. Never been one like it, never will be again. He is God and man. Now what difference does that make? I submit to you tonight it makes all the difference in the world. If he's not who he is, if he is not God-man, then it affects seriously some very important things that affect us. Do you remember how Paul opened the letter to the Romans? He wrote, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel that concerns his son. So the key words in these verses are the gospel, which I'm going to write about. The gospel concerns his son. And the son is further explained as one who was born of the, of the seed of David according to the flesh and who was uh, declared or proved to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. The gospel concerns a person, and this person is very unique, Paul says. He's a person who was a man who was born of the seed of David, a descendant of David. He was a human being, born of the Virgin Mary, of the Lion of David. He became incarnate, God incarnate, incarnate, in flesh. Chili con carne, chili with flesh, with meat. Incarnation in flesh. Carnivorous animal, one that eats meat. A carnival, time when you say goodbye to meat. The great carnival being Mardi Gras just before Lent. And he came in flesh. And that flesh, that humanity was produced by the Holy Spirit on the Virgin Mary, a descendant of David. He had to be a man. Otherwise, we have no gospel because God can't die. You don't nail God to a cross. You don't put nails through God and expect him to die. He had to be a man because only a man could die. God couldn't. If God could die, where would we be? And so the Savior who makes the gospel has to be a man. And to be a man, he has to be born a descendant of David. And that incorporates a lot of other of the great promises and prophecies that relate to the Davidic line of our Savior. But if you're only a man, you might as well go out and die for somebody and say, God, here I am, I offer myself my death as a payment for sins. What good would that be? None at all. So if we're to have a gospel, we not only need a man, we need a God-man. We need somebody whose death can atone for sin. If I should die, I'm dying for my own sins. But if the sinless Son of God dies, he can die for the sins of the world. And Paul goes on to say he was proved to be that Son of God. And that doesn't mean he's an offspring of God. Son of doesn't always mean offspring. It does sometimes. James and John were sons of thunder, remember? That meant they were thunder itself. When you heard James or John speak, you heard thunder. You didn't hear little sir echoes. 
Barnabas was called the son of consolation or exhortation, or however you translate that word. And that doesn't mean he was a backslapper. That meant that whenever Barnabas ministered to you, consolation itself was ministering to you. And the son of God means God himself. And he was proved to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And probably that ought to be as inclusive as you can make it be. The resurrection of Lazarus and Jairus' daughter and the widow of, son, of Nain's son and his own resurrection to a new kind and order of life. And that is a foretaste of our resurrection someday. And all of that proves, what we've just celebrated at Easter, proves that he is the Son of God. He's God himself. And Paul says that's essential to the gospel. You don't have a gospel if you don't have a man who can die and God who can make that death an effective payment for sin. The most important thing about Jesus Christ is who he is, the God-man. Another reason why that's so, more, so important is uh, recorded in the fourth chapter of Hebrews, this great book about our great high priest. And the writer writes in the conclusion of that chapter, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And already you ought to be alerted by that phrase to see that he's going to say something about the importance of the God-man as a high priest. Jesus, the human name, the Son of God, God himself, a God-man high priest. Since we have such a high priest, let's hold fast our confession. Why? We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. I always wondered what uh, Britisher wrote that phrase. Now, I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. You don't misunderstand me, do you? But uh, I sure wish it were positive instead of a double negative. I get tripped up over that double negative. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. We do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. One that was tempted in all things as we are yet apart from sin. No sin nature. Very strictly the text says one who was tempted uh, in all things, in all according to his likeness to us, except for one great difference. He had no sin nature. He was perfect. He was tempted in all according to his likeness. In other words, because he became a human being, albeit a perfect one, he could be tested. God is not tempted. James tells us that. So uh, if we're going to have a high priest who can be tested, he had to be a man. He had to have the likeness of sinful flesh. Now the writer says he was tempted in, in all not in all particulars, for he wasn't. Christ was never tempted with the misuse of television, for example. He was never tempted with uh, the drug scene, for example. didn't exist. So the text isn't saying, and we shouldn't make it say, he experienced everything we experience. He didn't. But he was tested in all the areas in which a man can be tested. John catalogs them this way, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Lust of the flesh, turn these stones into bread. Lust of the eyes, cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and be acclaimed as the Messiah. Pride of life, bow down and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'm not tested in those particulars, but in the same areas. I'm never tempted to turn stones to bread, never. Don't ever expect to be.
This is the end of side one. Stop the tape, turn the cassette over, and continue Dr. Ryrie's message on side two. I was preaching a few months ago on the temptation of Christ from Matthew 4, and I said that very thing. And I said, for example, after this uh, Sunday morning service, I, I'm not sure where I'm going to eat. I hope somebody has uh, had some forethought about that. But I suppose whoever it is is not going out to the parking lot and pick up a bunch of stones and uh, take them home and, and turn them into bread. At least I hope that's not the way it's going to be for Sunday dinner. Well, I was invited to a very nice home and a number of the young couples in the church had gotten together. They brought a number of dishes and they laid them out on a table probably half as long as the head table here. And they had all, la all laden with, with wonderful homemade dishes and, and the host uh, led in prayer. And then he said, we'll let our guests start down and he'll notice some very wonderful different dishes here. So I started down the line and and I helped myself to this and the next. And about the third plate down was this beautiful loaf of home-baked bread. I thought, my, that's something. I haven't had home-baked bread for a long time. And I picked up the knife to start to cut it, and then I realized it was a rock. <laughs> and somehow between church and dinner, they'd found this beautiful shaped rock just like a loaf of homemade bread and put it on the table. I had no temptation to try to start, turn that to, to bread. Lust of the flesh comes to me in different ways. But Christ's tests were particularly tailor-made to a God-man. He could turn them to bread. I've never been tempted to jump off the highest building in Dallas and say, here I am, the newest guru in Texas. If I did that, I would be the latest statistic in Texas. But he could have done that and landed unharmed and added uh, a good deal of credibility to his messianic claims. Satan never offered me the kingdoms of the world, sometimes little pieces of them, but not the whole. But he should have them, and someday he will have them. These were particular tests that were suited to a God-man, tests which I don't have in those particular ways, but in the same area in a much less way. It's sort of like this. When I first began to teach in seminary, I was uh, shocked to death at the way students misspelled. All alumni present are accepted from this illustration, of course. But the rest of them couldn't spell. And I remember giving one test, and I suppose in those days the classes were 20 or 25, and uh, one of the answers required the word Gethsemane. I got it misspelled eight different ways. Now, you can hardly do that if you sit down to try to misspell it eight different ways. But I got it misspelled eight different ways, including Gethsemane, M-A-N-Y, Gethsemane. That's wrong. <laughs> I remember going to my uh, home, hometown <clears throat> that Christmas, and being still single in those days, and uh, my father used to teach a class of public school teachers in uh, Sunday school, and, and I'd had a number of them as my teachers, so I remember visiting with them that Christmas, and I was saying to them, I don't know what in the world you ladies are teaching kids today. My students can't spell. You should see what they do with Gethsemane and deity and millennium and all the rest of it. P.S. 
Do you know Elizabeth Arden can't spell either? They've just put out a whole new line of cosmetics called Millennium, misspelled. I'm not sure why they chose that uh, label, frankly. I don't know whether it means it'll make you look a thousand years old or what. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at any rate, uh, all these labels are misspelled. So I said uh, to these teachers, these high school teachers, why, what do you do? Don't you teach them to spell? Deity, that's worse, you know. I mean, it's only a short word. And the high school teachers wrung their hands and shook their heads and said, I don't know what's, what's happening. None of our students can spell. What are you junior high school teachers doing? And the junior high school teachers shook their heads and wrung their hands and said, I don't know, my kids can't spell. What are you grade school teachers doing? And on it went, down, down, down. I don't remember where it ended. I don't think we had a kindergarten teacher there that evening. But we, we commiserated with each other over misspelling. The area was the same. The particulars were different. Their students were never tempted to misspell Gethsemane and Millennium. And my students were, I hope, never tempted to misspell cat and dog. Our Lord's tests were particularly tailored to him and ours are particularly tailored to us and the areas are the same, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And that's why we have a high priest who can sympathize because he was a man who was tested. But more than that, a priest who can do something. You can sympathize with other people. You can sympathize perhaps better if you've been through the same experience. But even if you've been through the same experience and you know something of how to help, you can't change the situation. He can. You can't give supernatural help and grace and strength, but he can because he's a God-man high priest. There's no priest like that in all the world. Man to be able to be tested and to pass those tests successfully. And God to be able to do something to give us grace to help in time of need. Isn't that great? One more. How would you know how to live if we didn't have a God-man as our example. This leader stands up and says, do it this way, and this one says, do it this way, and this religion says this way, and this book says this way, and this new thought says this way, and this guru says this way. God says, he who says he abides in Christ ought himself also so to walk, even as Christ walked. 1 John 2.6 Now if he were not a man, if he weren't incarnate, if he didn't come to this earth, if he were only God, uh, making himself visible as the Old Testament theophanies or as a phantom might become visible, we would really have no real example for life. But he was a man. And he serves as an example of of a person whose family was against him, who worked, who lived in the routine of life, who uh, lived in a system of religion that was against him, who was poor, who was misunderstood, and who was terribly abused. 
a man who, who also was regular in the things of life that pleased God. Most of us live in routines, not in spectacular things that happen, but in routines. I think how often the Lord went to the synagogue, how little he got out of the sermon, and yet it says in the Gospel of Luke, he went as was his custom. That's not heroic. That's not miraculous display of power. That's just routine godliness. And that's a great example. But if he weren't a man, we wouldn't have that example. Uh, John couldn't say we should walk as he walked, for he would never have walked on earth. But if he were only a man, however noble, however great, however near perfect even, if he were not also God, we would have no power to live that example. Christ lives in me. I think it was G. Campbell Morgan who wrote one time, in the things where Christ seems farthest from us, that is, in things that concern his deity, where there seems to be a great gulf fixed, he is actually nearest to us because Christ lives in me. And in things where he seems to be nearest to us, that is, that is in things that concern his humanity as we are human, he's actually farthest from us because he was a perfect man. Walk as he walked, the man who serves as a perfect example. In all the circumstances of life, many that we'll never face, and God, who gives us the power to live routine lives of godliness, to do those habitually holy things that characterize the godly life. You want to know what to do? Look at Jesus Christ, the God-man. You want to know how to be able to do it? Look to Jesus Christ, the God-man. You're in trouble and overwhelmed by difficulty and cir of circumstances? Look to Jesus Christ, the high priest, who as God-man was tested in all the areas in which we could be tested. And find from the God-man high priest grace to help in time of need. And all of it rests on the fact that we've accepted that glorious gospel concerning his son who was born of the seed of David and was proved to be all that he claimed to be by the resurrection from the dead. That's the most important thing about our Lord Jesus Christ.